Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our daily broadcast. Today we're looking at the Anguttara Nikaya Book of Fours, Sutta number 28. The Aryavangsa Sutta. Vangsa means lineage or heritage. Arya of the nobles. So we're looking at the the tradition. Tradition of the nobles or noble tradition. There's so much that is noble about what we're engaging in here. And there's so much tradition. We're following the tradition of the ancient nobles. Noble or maybe we need a better word than noble, but honorable, exalted, enlightened. We're following the tradition of the enlightened ones. When you undertake the five precepts, this is the this is the lineage. You intentionally decide not to kill, to steal, to cheat, to lie, to take drugs or alcohol. You undertake these rules. before we talk about whether it's necessary or important, it's tradition. It's tradition and it's the tradition that is most noble, passed on by the Buddha himself. When you sit down, close your eyes and undertake to meditate, saying to yourself, with this practice, may I improve my mind. You're undertaking the lineage, the heritage of the noble and you're following in the footsteps of the Buddha and all of his enlightened disciples. Further, when you learn about the Buddha's teaching and four satipatthana, and not just sitting in meditation, you you practice meditation in the Buddha's way. Cultivating effort and mindfulness and clear comprehension of the reality of things. is the heritage of the noble ones. So much. This isn't something that you pick up at the YMCA or you pick up uh, from New Age Guru. 
what we're practicing has tradition, has precedence, it has standing and stature. It's ancient, more ancient than Christianity. It's a very old teaching. And so you're joining a community, a global community of practitioners following the Noble Way. You may think you sit down and close your eyes and you're all alone and dealing with things that are very difficult to deal with. It's good to remember that you're part of something bigger. Right? This is what religion offers, something bigger to protect you, to nourish you, to nurture your burgeoning spirituality. So within this tradition, this lineage, the Buddha talks about four Aryavangsa. And uh, they're a well-known well-known set in Buddhism. It's one of the things that, we, one of these sets that we learn in the first year Dhamma studies in Thailand in order to take an exam. The first exam, we, this is one of the things we have to learn. So four traditions. Other yeah, religions have their own traditions, cultures have their traditions. What are the traditions of Buddhism? Well, they're quite simple. This, is, this isn't a be-all, end-all, but these are the very core of Buddhist tradition. The first one is the robe or clothing, you could say. Here one is content with any kind of clothing, any kind of cloth. And they speak in praise of contentment with clothing. Not worrying about looks, not worrying about their appearance or their image. Not fussing with jewelry or makeup or hairdos. And they stop looking for clothing or uh, accoutrements, decorations. And if they don't get, this is this is specifically for monks. But if they don't get robes, they are not agitated. If they get one, they use it without being tied to, infatuated with it, or blindly absorbed in it. Seeing the danger in it and understanding the escape from it. This has to do with image, this has to do with our appearances, our personality, who we are, who we present ourselves as. This is a noble tradition, noble lineage. Do not be concerned with appearances, not be concerned with the body. 
keeping the body healthy and clean but not beautiful not primping it up, not attaching to it looking in the mirror and making sure you're beautiful handsome and at the same time not being arrogant or conceited because of that being humble robes are a funny thing in Thailand they're all too small for westerners so we're all going around with these well, for many western people and get robes and uh, they're all of one size and try to be one size fits all it was a long time before we before I was able to get robes that actually fit me or that were actually cotton because they have all this polyester robes and well you have to be content with it even though it's, it doesn't breathe it's not very comfortable But you don't go seeking for this or that kind of robe or, or, or in general trying to enhance your appearance. This is one of the things that noble beings don't worry about. How they look and by extension how they appear and how other people, what other people think of them. By extension, if you look at this, it's, it's a whole in, intense sort of, uh, well, uh, obsession that we have with how we look and how we appear and how other people, what others think of us, this worrying and fretting and judging ourselves reacting when other people criticize or speak poorly about us so we have to present an image that's scary and it's a lot of work and a lot of stress and a lot of suffering but for a meditator for someone who's practicing the noble lineage they stop worrying about that they start to see it's not even real and more importantly they see that it's not or more clearly they see that it's while not being real it's not it, it's not even dangerous even if the whole world thought you were what thought you what's the worst they could do think you are a terrible person doesn't really mean anything worst is that people are going to talk behind your back we get so upset when people talk badly about us on the internet it's lots of fun when you're on YouTube and then people comment on your videos and they tell you what a terrible person you are I had someone recently write me a scathing email telling me I'm a spoiled brat I get lots of things like that and it's very easy to get upset about right Oh, you go and obsess and what a terrible person I am. Well, you get angry at them and you think, oh, how, how terrible they are. Say this nasty thing about me. All for nothing, you know. I mean, what is it? It's just words. It's funny how words are people's judgment of us, our judgment of ourselves gets in our way. It's all because of image. 
because of personality, who we think that we are. None of it's real. So that's the first one relating to appearances. The second one is food. And so one is content with any kind of food. And they speak in praise of contentment with any kind of food. And they don't go looking for special food. Or they don't min try manipulating others for the right kind of food. A food in, in Buddhism is of four kinds. There's uh, real food and then there's all sorts of mental kinds of food. So we could, we could look at this in, in the sense of the input, the things we put into our body. We can become very particular, or not our body, but also our mind. We can become very particular about bo both what we put into our body and what we put into our mind. Needing only certain experiences. Able to bear with other experiences. Maybe it's too hot or too cold. Maybe something is displeasing or unpleasant, boring, frustrating, agitating, terrifying, disgusting. We're constantly judging our experiences, no? The things we the things we take in from the world around us. It's all food, it's all nourishment. It feeds our body, it feeds our mind, or it poisons our body and poisons our mind. Most importantly, it poisons our mind. Good things, right? Good healthy food can poison your mind. Even while it's nourishing your body, it's poisoning, poisoning your heart. Filling it up with greed and attachment, addiction. Filling it up with ego and arrogance as you get stronger from the food or healthier or you feel good. Delusion, the delusion of health, that we're going to be so healthy and we're going to eat all the right things and live forever. And we get very obsessed with what goes into our body for health or for pleasure. How attached we get to certain types of food such that even the thought of them makes our mouth water. Cheeseburgers, pizza, potato chips. All words that meditators never want to hear. <laughs> My meditators are over there cringing. <laughs> Cheesecake. Actually, the food here is pretty good. But there's no potato chips or chocolate bars, hamburgers, mmm, pizza. It's funny, you stay in a meditation center long enough, boy, the things you start to crave. Quite dangerous. You see? I mean, it's good practice, good to see that. I said, silly, really. What is a potato chip? It's poison, really. What is pizza? It's 
just goes into your mouth, you feel good for a bit and then it's gone. Once it's gone, you just want more. Didn't make you happier. I've eaten lots of pizza in my life, I don't feel happier because of it. Our addictions, we get caught up, addicted to food. Food is the basic, you know. Everything else, of course, is involved. Now we're addicted to our cell phones. And someone was here a few days ago saying, you know, everywhere he goes, and it's true. It's amazing, you know. It's just exponentially worse where absolutely everyone has a sitting on the bus, get on the bus. When you take the bus like I do, you get to see it. But even not on the bus, people walk around looking at their phones, drive looking at their phones, get in accidents looking at their phones. Anyway, food, being content with food, learning how to free yourself from this need for certain types of entertainment or certain types of experience, input, certain types of input. And being free from that so you can be truly happy, not worrying about will I get this, will I get that, will I not get this, will I not get that. The third one is in regards to lodging. Lodging is your situation, but we can extrapolate. It's nice to extrapolate these and think of what they really represent. Uh -oh. um, lodging represents our situation. This includes lots of things includes the room that we have to sleep in or the park bench we have to sleep under it includes the tree that we use for shade but it also includes our situation, our job, our status, our position in the family or society or a country or the world it includes our race and our nationality, our ethnicity, our culture, all these things that we cling to, that make up much of who we are. It includes the bed that we sleep on. We sleep on the floor long enough. Maybe you start to miss the bed, miss a comfortable bed. Good night's sleep. Oh, what I wouldn't give for a waterbed or a down-filled mattress or a futon. We crave comfortable chairs and seats and we crave air conditioning. We crave You crave beauty. Right? You, you come to our meditation center, you get an empty room, four walls. You might start to think, feel like you're going crazy because you don't have anything, any stimulation. 
It's easy to distract yourself when there's beauty around you, beautiful things. Or you can just turn on the music. It's stressful. It's stressful to be without those things. And so we cling, we crave them. Just like it's stressful to be without the drugs that you're addicted to. That's basically it. We're addicted to so many things and we've gotten so dependent on their ability to distract ourselves. Their ability to uh, find enjoyment, pleasant, pleasure. That we can't live without it for a long time. And we get upset and stressed. That's what you feel when you come to meditate. It's quite quite stressful, not because of being alone. Whenever a meditator tells me they're bored, I say, what's the difference between boredom and peace? And I mentioned this recently. Now I've gotten into asking this question. It's a good question, I think. It's pertinent because the only difference between boredom and peace is your attitude. Why can't you sit alone in a room four walls, quiet. Why can't you if not for addiction? It's simply because we want things, we crave things. We can't stand this random chaotic reality that we have to put up with, that we're presented with, so we try to change it. Okay, this is you sit there for a while and something unpleasant comes up. Okay, when this comes up, I know what I have to do. Run away. Find something more pleasant. And so we get this habit of running away from reality, really. Chasing after a specific subset of reality that's acceptable to us. Anything else is unacceptable. This is what causes suffering because you can't predict and we're not able to control our experiences. The more you try, the more you're just setting yourself up for disappointment when things change. So that's number three, our situation. So stop worrying about our situation. If you become poor, if you become a bum living on the street, you're still living you're still alive no matter what you ex what happens to you it's still just experience and so rather than worrying about your position too much you should be much more worried about your mind how you can how you deal with situations because you don't know what's going to happen next anything can change in a minute That's number three. Number four is, so number the first three are contentment. It's the lineage or the heritage of the noble ones to be content with all these things. Content with our image, content with our input, our food and our nourishment, and to be content with our situation. And the fourth one is to be find delight let's see what the word is here arama rama no, 
bhavanarama. Arama means to enjoy, to delight in bhavana, to delight in development, mental development. We should be delighting it. We should be very happy to be able to sit down, close your eyes, and really do something about this huge mass of stress and suffering that we've gotten ourselves into. Do something about our minds. Don't just live with the imperfections in your mind, the, your bad habits that cause you suffering, that cause, other, cause others suffering. Don't just live with them. Learn to overcome them. Learn to better yourself. Find ways to better yourself. This is what we should be doing. And not just in development, but abandoning. These are the two things. Bhavana ramo hoti bhavana rato. Pahana ramo hoti pahana rato. We should delight in developing, developing wholesome states, developing states of mind that are for our own benefit and for the benefit of others, that make us better people. And abandoning those states that make us worse people. Abandoning those states that cause suffering for others, for ourselves and for others. This is what comes from meditation. This is what comes from mental development. When you develop wholesome states, you become a better person. This is what you should be focused on. Not being pleased or happy or, or peaceful. No. Everyone wants to meditate to bliss out and feel good. It's really a terrible reason to meditate. You should meditate to better yourself. To learn. To become noble. When you want to find true peace and happiness, it comes through this. To being a better person. To purifying your mind. Through purifying your mind. Through becoming enlightened. Enlightened to what? Enlightened to the truth of reality. Simple, simple stuff. Learning the truth about your own mind. What is the nature of my mind? Is it pure? Is it defiled? Is it good? Is it bad? Learning all the various aspects of your mind and refining them. It's a lot of work. You don't get a clean house from going on a vacation. Meditation isn't a vacation. It's about cleaning cleaning house. Removing all the dirt and defilement from your own mind so that you end up with a clean place to live. Abandoning those things that should be abandoning, cultivating those things that should be cultivated. This is the this is the way, this is the noble heritage. So, that's our Dhamma for tonight. Any questions? We have questions, Bhante. All right. 
If we are born, we are eventually caught up in samsara and thus suffering. So if one who has such knowledge, Dhamma, shouldn't he or she be inclined not to bring life on earth, thus preventing the newborn from suffering? Hmm. Thanks. We may also say new life gives opportunity to see Nirvana. Well, it's not, you're not giving new life. Those, whatever being that is, is already in samsara. You're just turning them into helping, giving them an opportunity to become a human. It's like you're, you're creating a position in a company where you put an advertisement and advertise for the position. So, I mean, there might be a benefit to that and Scientific study on the meditation technique we use here, Bhante? Um, well, I don't know what they used, but uh, MBSR has done some studies. I don't know if they specifically use our technique. Mahasi Sayada compiled a bunch of stuff unofficially, and you know, a lot of anecdotes, really. But anecdotal um, cases where meditators had cured themselves of various diseases. It was quite interesting certainly not scientific but not in the modern sense but it was certainly interesting to read but uh, if you look at the NIH or uh, this government US government has a has a page on meditation so I, I don't I, I don't expect any of it says in depth is what we practice a lot of it's watered down and just simple meditation but um, they have some scientific stuff on on this sort of, you know, approaching this type of meditation anyway. When I hear a sound, it's just kind of hearing, but an image of the cat also comes into my mind after I hear the sound. Should I not seeing seeing? Uh, yet, yeah. I mean, it's not a should. It's you can. Note whatever's clearest to you. If the hearing is clearest, you'd say hearing. Of course, okay, a cat meowing. Well, the meowing's gone, and so then, yeah, you'd move on to seeing. But like if you hear birds chirping, and you both hear it, and you see in your mind an image of a bird, it doesn't really matter which one. You know, stick to one, because it, it helps you build concentration. You stick to one, and your mind will learn to grasp things more clearly rather than jump back and forth. At least a little bit of concentration in that way course jumping back and forth it's not technically wrong you can say seeing seeing and go to hearing hearing just don't try to jump too much it's not really helpful greetings Bhante do angels suffer how is it easier to achieve liberation as a human oh yeah angels have mental suffering not a lot but they do they can feel fear and you know, there's stories of angels when they realized they were about to die, they would get a lot of fear because they realized they hadn't done anything to deserve being an angel anymore. So when they die, they're going to go back to the human realm. That's clear suffering. They worry, they fear, they get, they even get angry. Now, an angel dies if they get really angry. Apparently, anger is one of the causes of death for an angel. 
Is it easier to achieve liberation as a human? I don't think so. Because if you look at the texts, there's this idea that, and it makes sense that there were countless angels became enlightened listening to the Buddha. And they would come down in droves to listen to the Buddha teach and become enlightened. You know, being an angel is distracting. And uh, it's easy to miss Buddhism because it's very brief in the time of an angel. So there's probably lots of angels who have just ignored the rising of the Buddha 2,500 years ago and it's just going to be over for them and then they'll be like, oh, a Buddha came? Oh, too late. But uh, no, being an angel is pretty easy to become enlightened, especially if you've practiced as a human being. Go be born in heaven, and espe especially because there's lots of Buddhas, uh, Buddhists up in heaven. Anattapindika is up in heaven. Any Sotapanna, most Sotapannas go up to heaven, mostly. Bhante, when doing walking meditation, Atta, Atawi, hardness, and Tiho, coldness, can be felt on the foot, on the sole of the foot. Depending on which aspen, is it okay to stick to one, or should I let the mind pick it naturally? Yeah, don't worry about those. You'll see them as a part of the walking. You just be aware of the, the general sense that you're walking. That's why we stick to like stepping right, stepping left, or lifting, placing. Because as you say lifting, that's what you're aware of. It, it focuses you on the movement, but the movement includes the datas. That's it. We're reading something about... Yes, it is, but I just had kind of a, mm -hmm. an add-on question to that one. I remember reading something about walking meditation where um, it was talking about, you know, when your foot rises, you can feel uh, the heat, like heat rises, mm -hmm. and when your foot moves forward, it's like the air, and when it goes down, it's the water, and, you know, kind of the aggregates. And mm -hmm. Is that... Is that helpful, or is that too complicated? No, the only point there is that you would you would experience those. You will experience those as you meditate. I had one teacher, and it really kind of turned me off. He's, he he asked me to describe walking to him. Uh, I think what he was getting at was he wanted me to be able to break it up like that, and to you know say, oh, when you lift, it feels like this. When you move. But I was like, you know, it's just walking. <laughs> Didn't really matter to me, and I, I still contest that—that that you really have to know. I, I guess the point is, that, you know, are you really being mindful? But the question then is, how mindful? You know, what does it mean to be mindful? Should you be aware of the particulars? Do you have to worry about the particulars? I don't know. For me, it's just lifting. This is moving. This is placing. You don't have to actually realize. Oh, that's the fire element. That's the air element. That's the earth element. Yeah, of course, it depends who you ask. There are teachers out there that require it, but certainly not in art in Ajahn Tong's tradition. Thank you, Bhante. How do devas gain merit if they are in constant bliss? Well, bliss doesn't stop you from gaining merit. The angels can meditate. 
they can be kind to each other, they can teach, they can uh, listen to the Dhamma, they can be kind to each other, they can practice, you know, mostly they can practice meditation, all sorts of meditation, because they can sit still for a long time. It's true, they often bemoan not being able to offer to the Buddha. It's not easy for them to come down to earth and oh, they can't just offer alms, that kind of thing. So there are certain types of good things they can't do. I think you're all caught up with questions. All right. Okay, that's it then. Thank you all for coming out. Thanks, Robin, for your help. Have a good night, everyone. Hey, let me know if the uh, video is better. I think people are complaining about the video being fuzzy. I think it should be clear, and I'm thinking it may be clearer now. So let me know. Thanks.